Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. Now, as always, we're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then we're going to come back and just jump right on into tonight's show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. So as promised, we're just going to jump right on in to tonight's show. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I got to tell you that I think I'm suffering from great fatigue, tremendous fatigue, because it's just living in Massachusetts has gotten so difficult, so unbelievably tough. And it's not anything, it's not like it's brand new, but it's just gotten progressively worse. And a lot of it is directly attributable to this state being a one-party state. And it's just, it's, I find it disgusting. I really do. I just, the lack of political diversity, the lack of intellectual diversity, it's stifling, it's oppressive, it's, it's just so difficult to support, to tolerate. And there are an increasing number of people who are choosing to leave the state because of that. Now, a lot of people will say, well, they're leaving because it's unaffordable. And, and don't get me wrong, that, that certainly plays a considerable role. So it's not... Let me kind of hit the rewind button and just kind of edit a little bit what I, what I just said. Affordability is certainly a big factor, but I tie that into it being a one-party state as well. When you have a state, a municipality, where it's overwhelmingly or exclusively one party— there is no sense of checks and balances. And that's what we have here in Massachusetts. That's what we have here in particular in Boston. And politicians have access to a lot of money. They do. They get to decide what to do <laughs> with a lot of money. Now, if you take any one politician, it's not like he or she is necessarily going to get whatever it is that he or she wants uh, entirely 
what he or she wants. But the point is, is that you have people who are elected and then they have access to money, making decisions about that money, where it's going to go. And again, when you don't have an opposing party, there's very little pushback. And the only real pushback that we've had, particularly here in Boston, has been from Democrats that are more moderate or conservative. And quite frankly, were it not for them, Boston would be even in worse shape than it already is. Now, I suppose I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. And the reason why I shouldn't say them is because... I guess it's not politically correct, or I guess that it's not considered polite, or it might hurt somebody's feelings. And I think at this point, I don't really care about any of that, because I'm not going out of my way to be rude or disrespectful, but there are a number of truths that need to be disseminated, that need to be articulated And I'm not saying that I, myself, have all the truths, that I am the purveyor of all uh, all these truths, Um, but I think that I am in possession of some. And, And I think that it's important, at the least, for people to hear different points of view. It's just so frustrating. So... I want to kind of jump back to my original point that a lot of people are leaving. And yes, affordability is is definitely a factor. Uh, I think, I hope I tied it in uh, with the one-party rule. And then, as I said, there's this stunning lack of political and intellectual diversity. People want to see themselves represented. I I agree with that. But it's not only in terms of looks, appearance, having the same ethnicity or maybe faith as someone, someone else. It's also, it also comes down to the way of thinking. There are so many people who have spent much of their lifetimes, uh, lifetime rather, without someone that shares any of their ideas. And for a lot of people, like I said, that's becoming increasingly intolerable. And we look here at Boston and we 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 see what's happening and it's just I don't know what to say about Kendra Lara. I really don't. Let, let's let's talk about Kendra Lara. Kendra Lara had no business driving around without a license in a, in a vehicle that's Oh, that wasn't uh, insured. I I don't know 
about the vehicle now, but certainly when she was driving it, it wasn't insured. But there are just so many other things. Even before we got there, just her remarks about Jewish people, Zionists, and, and I appreciate that not all Jews are Zionists and not all Zionists are Jews, but certainly when she was referring to Zionists, she meant Jewish people. And that really, based on that remark alone, those remarks, she should have been asked to resign. There should have been pressure upon her to resign. That there was no pressure upon her to resign shows you how seriously, or should I say, how seriously, uh, how unseriously, yeah, there we go, <laughs> uh, anti-Semitism is, is taken. It's... It's really, it's, it's really pretty gross because I can assure you that if it were maybe another group, I doubt that Lara would have been able to survive. But she makes anti-Semitic remarks that recall tropes, that anti-Semitic tropes that have been used for centuries against my people— in different lands, and that's okay. Because if you think about it, if you pick up the papers, if you sift through social media, people have made a bigger deal about Lara and her recent car accident. Don't get me wrong, what she did was horrible. I feel unbelievably bad for that family what they went through, what they are going through. I think it's disgraceful that she would be driving around in a car without a license, without that vehicle, again, being insured. But I guess my point is, is when you have someone who embraces the idea of othering a group of people. It doesn't matter what group we're talking about. It's kind of, to me, that should be enough in itself. It's okay. She was involved in an accident. Okay, she was driving around without a license in an uninsured vehicle. But you have someone who has expressed animosity, an animus, a hostility toward another group of people, toward a group of people. So I just, this isn't someone who should be in office. This isn't someone who, who should be a public servant. And that this has to be explained, that this has to be unpacked. <laughs> it's just, it blows my mind. But I think the only thing that's more offensive than everything that Lara has done is the fact that 
people could not help Mary Tamer. And I am going to keep on banging that drum. I really, really am because people showed more interest in the ridiculous effort that was made, I'll say made, to challenge uh, Lara's residency. It was a, it was an absurd effort because it's something that's very difficult to prove. And look, I know personally three of the four people that were involved with the challenge. Two of the people, I like them. I've already said that. But I, I don't know what they were hoping to accomplish. Especially since the other two people that were involved with this effort were not constituents of Lara's. I mean, it's, I mean, come on. There's going to be a challenge to Lara's residency. And two of the four people are not even residents of District 6 which Laura represents, I can understand one of the two others, his, his complaint having some legitimacy of validity because he himself is a public servant. Uh, it was a, a firefighter who was involved with the effort as well. And, you know, the public, you know, a firefighter, just like a police officer, at the end of the day, they're, you know, representing the whole city, I think, in a sense, uh, representing, um, is that really the word I want? Uh, they're working on behalf of, how's that? Working on behalf of keeping um, ultimately the, the entire city safe. Uh, you know, a police officer, a fire, a fireman uh, is assigned to one station or another but their role is to protect the public. And so, you know, like I said, ultimately I feel like notwithstanding their assignment to one state, a station or another, we're looking at people, we're talking about people who have made a commitment to protect the whole of the city, Right. Uh, and they're willing to lay down their lives. And that's that that's something that I admire greatly. And so, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll look at this fire, you know, I looked rather at this uh, individual uh, fire firefighter, and I said, you know what, he's not a resident of the district, but I mean, given his profession, Fine. Okay. You, you can make an argument for it. But then the third of the three people, uh, the third of the three people that I know in this group of four, uh, the, the third person in this quartet whom I know, he's just your average Joe. He is like you, 
like me. It's he does not live in the district. He does not have any ties to the district. He has never lived in the district. Okay, so of course I'm talking about Rashid Walters. And it's I you know, I say of course only because I've I've <laughs> some people would say complained, some people might say ranted, but you know, I've I've talked about this before because it is something that angers me because this is someone who doesn't have any kind of ties to this district, but wants to challenge Lara's residency. It's, I mean, like, where do you get off? It's, it's, I, I'm just, it's, it angers me. It frustrates me because District 6 really needs good representation at the municipal level. It deserves good representation at the municipal level. You know, part of that district is West Roxbury. I spent part of my childhood there. It is a great neighborhood. It is a neighborhood. It, it you know, it hasn't always been perfect. It's not perfect now. But I think there have always been good people there, just like there have been good people throughout the city. And I can say that it provided a home for four generations of my family. So West Roxbury means something to me. Uh, the, the whole of District 6 uh, I consider important. The whole, the whole city of Boston I consider important. But... You know, obviously, if I'm talking about a part of the city in which I've actually lived, especially as a child, you know, there there's an extra, uh, there, there's some kind of sentimentality there. there, there you know, there's some extra uh, emotion, if you will. And West Roxbury has had a really tough time lately, the residents, there's been really kind of um, an attack against the residents of the neighborhood from from all sides. And living in West Roxbury, that's not something that anyone should have to apologize for. All kinds of assumptions were made about residents of West Roxbury, and none of them were positive, but assumptions generally aren't are not positive, right, uh, by the very nature. But just really all kinds of, I think, insensitive, nasty assumptions were made about residents, the residents of West Roxbury. And certainly in regard to the exam schools, West Roxbury didn't come out of it well. You have... This idea now, or there's this idea in the city that West Roxbury is this place where privileged people live. These people are privileged and they're entitled. You know what? Maybe some of them are. But they're also, like I said, like I uh, said just a couple minutes ago, if that, there's some very, very, very good people who live there. 
and no neighborhood, speaking broadly, deserves to be met with such nasty discrimination. So D6 needs someone who's going to fight for the entirety of the district and understand that what West Roxbury has gone through recently, it's it's just, it's been tough. And a lot of people, a number of people in West Roxbury are feeling defensive. And so that feeds in, you know, taking all this into consideration, the amalgam of everything that I said, this feeds into why I am resentful of Rashid Walters being part of the effort to challenge Kendra Lara's residency. I mean, who the heck is he? Where has he been? Certainly don't recall him lifting a hand to help Mary Tamer. I mean, if he had done that, I'd say, you know what? He's not my favorite person. He otherwise doesn't have any ties to the district. But he showed concern when it really, really, really counted. So, yeah, I'm going to keep on banging the drum because there was a good candidate, Mary Tamer, and people could not come out for her the way they could come out for some of these other candidates who, quite frankly, are bozos, who were bozos, (laughs) and they're still bozos. But to continue kind of talking and and looking and unpacking everything that's going on, I think really it it is important to continue to talk about the Boston City Council and, and the role that the Republican Party really has to play. I'm going to get to that. So I talked about District 6. You know, of course, you have a lot going on uh, in District 5. That's represented by Ricardo Arroyo. And I say a lot because, you know, that's a a four-person race, not a three-person, a four-person race. And, you know, as we as we get closer, uh, you know, a little bit close. Well, we're already in August, so it, it's it's hard to believe how fast time flies. But I would say, like maybe then, <clears throat> maybe within the next like week or so, I'll start doing it next week. But in two weeks, I'm going to go into depth because I really want people to know what their choices are. But yeah, there's a lot going on in the race because there are four people, including the incumbent, Ricardo Arroyo. But also there there is a lot of, I'll use the word drama, <laughs> surrounding this race because there have been a lot of complaints. There have been a lot of criticisms of Ricardo because of different issues that have painted him in a less than flattering light. So, 
you know, obviously there were some issues that were relative to his time in high school and his treatment toward uh, a couple of uh, classmates, female classmates. And then more recently, there were uh, questions regarding ethics. And I'm not, the reason why I'm not going to go into detail about these these incidents, these issues that have painted him to some, to many, to a number of people um, in an unflattering light is because we've already talked a lot about it. And I feel that with this city council, we focus more on drama than anything else. And that's another source of my ire. That's another source of my anger because the Boston City Council actually wields a considerable amount of weight. And if you have, and I, I'm, I'm always saying this, this isn't something new. I, I often say this. If, if you have a counselor who's intelligent and who's knowledgeable, he or she can get a lot done. We don't have that right now. Um, I'm going to maintain that were it not for Michael Flaherty, who's very smart, very, very smart, uh, Frank Baker, also smart, smart, and Ed Flynn. If it weren't for those, Ed, Ed Flynn is tremendous. He's terrific. If it weren't for those three, we wouldn't have a city council. Period. And with, you know, people want to focus on Lara. People want to focus on Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, who actually is, uh, she's, she's nobody's fool. She's actually, I think, uh, smart. Um, I don't like everything that she has said and done. <laughs> uh, and as always, I, you know, I've made my views public. I don't say one thing to one person and another thing to another. Uh, I'm, I'm consistent or I don't say one thing to a person's face and another behind his or her back. I, that's, <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, I, I probably have more friends, lots of air quotes there, <laughs> uh, if, I, if I were phony and, and two-faced. But that's just, not, that's just not me. That's just not who I am. It's not uh, who I have any interest in, in trying to be. Um, but she's actually, you know, she actually has something to say. Um, but yeah, I don't like everything that she has said and done. The point is, is people like to, there are some people like to focus on on them. They also like to talk about Julia Mejia, Julia. And I think that for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired of Erin Murphy. Because I think that it's, she has done a lot <laughs> to create just... I'm going to use that word again, drama. And I'm tired. I'm tired. When our streets are not clean, 
when we don't have timely pickups, you know, our garbage. When we have school, when we have a school system that's on life support, when we have major safety issues, when we have really big economic problems, don't talk to me about <laughs> Boston's like what AAA plus AAA whatever whatever uh, you know bond rating because it's. That's not translating into a comfortable life for so many Bostonians. And so I don't want to hear about how Erin is doing an interview. I don't want to see her like with a fresh blowout because she's just ran to the hairdressers to gussy herself up for an interview that she has no business giving. I, I don't want to see any more of her interviews. If you don't, <laughs> if you, like you, if she doesn't have anything like particularly important or critical or insightful to share, I, I want her to stop talking and just do her job. Just put her head down and, and just just try to do her job. But everything is a press release, 50 selfies of from the same event, uh, you know, you know, being quoted in the newspaper and and you know, she often comes across as <laughs> going off as half cocked. Um, her latest, she wants to, look at the equipment that is used to sweep the streets. And she's concerned about the possibility of those machines that operate in Methadone Mile. She's concerned about uh, those machines spreading uh, spreading disease in other parts of the city. And it's just, I just, I don't want what a counselor says to take up so much bandwidth in this city. I I just, I, it's just, it's just enormously frustrating. I, I don't, I mean... What what Aaron has said, what Councillor Murphy has said, you know, got a lot of backlash. And of course, there are some people that, you know, try to defend her. I don't think there's much to defend. Uh, she just she just came across as as grossly uninformed. So. What kicked everything off is that there was an article done in the Herald, and and I swear, Aaron must have all these like reporters on speed dial. So uh, the the Herald uh, posted something online. City Councilor Aaron Murphy has filed a hearing order to look into whether street cleaning equipment used in the area of Melania Cass Boulevard and Massachusetts Avenue 
methadomyl um, is spreading infectious diseases to other parts of Boston. Look, I absolutely agree that something must be done. But if we're going to do something, it, it has to be something that's going to attack the problem. It doesn't have to attack the entirety of the crisis that is methanomile because it's, it's multifaceted. It's multidimensional. But it has to be something that is going to nudge us at the least, but at this point really needs to shove us, uh, in the direction of at least effectively addressing one head of this beast. And it's just, it's not that there are not health hazards right there in the mile uh, for first responders, sure, certainly. And also for for denizens, uh, for lack of a better word, on the mile. And of course, these people migrate, right? They move around. Um, having said that, what this hearing is going to yield it <laughs> it's not going to yield anything that can then be used to really efficiently address any one part of the of this crisis and so i feel like it's a very much a waste of resources, the most precious resource that we ultimately have, which is time. And, 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 and given that methadone mile is a tinderbox, it's, 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 it's a dynamite situation, almost literally. Uh, I just, I, I don't know what she was thinking or what, you know, where her head is at. And I think that Erin, along with some others, we... We Bostonians, we the residents, the people, the public, we have often found ourselves talking about the behaviors, the decisions, the actions of these these counselors, mostly the freshman counselors, and that's not what we should be doing. That's not what we should be doing. We have such serious problems in Boston. We don't have time to talk about like some Scooby-Doo activity or some idiotic suggestion proposal from this one or that one. We need people. We need a body of counselors that know what they're doing, that are ready to act, that can serve as an effective counterweight to Michelle Wu. And that's not a big ask. That's not a tall ask. You know, some time ago, I used the, the, the example of, of Revere. Revere City Council, it's not even a full-time position, but let me tell you something. You go to a meeting in Revere, you go to a city council meeting, it is such a treat because coming from Boston, you're like, wow, every single counselor knows what he or she's talking about. There is nobody half-stepping. There is nobody fake in the front. Everyone there knows what he or she is talking about. 
And again, it's not a full-time position. And it's crazy because several of the counselors are actually running for mayor. And one of the candidates, I think he has at least two jobs, in addition to being (laughs) a city councilor, a Revere city councilor. And yes, yes, he's running for mayor. I don't know how he's doing it. Uh, I think he's Superman. But it's, it's just to say that you have a talented, knowledgeable body of people that are doing myriad of things. And they're delivering. They're, they're, at, the, at the very least, they're able to interface intelligently with their, their constituents. And so when I juxtapose that with members of the Boston City Council, I get upset because the Boston City Councilors, they're making over $100,000 a year. And I will continue to remind people that that is more than what some governors earn. Okay? That's more than what some governors earn. And these people, this is a full-time gig. So, I mean, really, what are they doing? Where is their time going that they can't carve out some of it? A few hours here and there at the least to really, truly understand the purview of the office that they hold and to learn the issues so whether it's district or citywide, what what is the problem? But you know what would start to turn the tide is if we had credible. I'm not talking about running Republicans that are, quite frankly, just stupid or unqualified undignified. I I mean, but I'm talking about a credible candidate that happens to have an R after his or her name. Now, of course, the Boston City Council races, those are nonpartisan. But if a Republican runs, people are going to, you know, that's, that's, that, that is not going to remain hidden. But I would like to see Republican, good, solid people run for office, people who have ideas, people who stand up and run who have a platform, people who stand up and say, this is my body of experience, and this is how it would, or this experience, rather, this is how I'm going to do my job, because in my job, I did X, Y, and Z, And that would enable me to do this, that, and those, which is within the purview of the office of city councilor, right? We have people today that stand up and run. They have no platform. Hello, Catherine Vitale, um, you know, who's an at-large candidate. People who don't know the issues. Again, hello, Catherine Vitale. In fact, she and her two fellow anti-vaxxers, Padma Scott, who's running for the District 7 seat on the Boston City Council, and Sean Nelson, who's also running for an at-large seat. 
And what makes it particularly embarrassing is they have some loathsome views, uh, particularly Catherine, and they're on the political right. So very embarrassing indeed. But these people, they stand up, they don't have a platform, not a platform among the three. They don't speak to the issues. The best Catherine can do is pick through what I said during my 2020 congressional run, and she'll look at what some other people have said that seems to sound good and make sense. And then she just kind of stitches everything together and and says, here you go. That's You don't learn the issues on the campaign trail. And you sure as shooting don't learn the issues if you're fortunate enough to get elected. You stand up to run because you do know the issues and what you see happening is bothering you. And you say to yourself, you know what? I think based on my background, my experience, my body of experience, my knowledge, I think I can offer something better than the person who has the seat. That's how it should work. Republicans have a role to play. On that note, I'm going to go to a quick break. And then we're going to come back for the last few minutes of the show. And we're going to talk about more uh, along the lines of what Republicans need to be doing, should be doing. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. Estos son los sonidos de una cena. Una cena que casi no sucedió. Es una cena servida gracias a personas como tú. Debido a la crisis actual, 50 millones de personas pueden vivir con hambre este año. Feeding America está ayudando a los que más lo necesitan. Y si quieres, tú puedes ayudar también. Visita feedingamerica.org diagonal en guión español. Patrocinado por el Ad Council y Feeding America, la fuerza de 200 bancos de alimentos. Are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. So you've been listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, on WBCALP 102.5 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So before we jump to break, I said that we need to talk about what Republicans need to do, what the Republican Party needs to do. There always seems to be excuses There's always an excuse why Republicans can't come into Boston. Okay, let me be particularly, especially blunt. Does anyone out there think (laughs) that I really wanted to get up 
and run against Diana Presley, which was a massive thing in itself, and not make the ballot? Does anyone really think that I wanted to then... Really, I, I I put my life on hold. I didn't go out. I don't remember going out. <laughs> it was like, it was probably like about a year. I didn't go out. I didn't. I don't, yeah, I didn't go out once. <laughs> Everything was the campaign, the campaign, the campaign. And I, you know, because I have an R after my name and I was trying to do something that hadn't been done since the late 90s. And I had bucked my own party, which at the time was run by the ugh, <laughs> the yucky Jim Lyons. <laughs> I uh, it was I was very much on my own. I was very much a solo act. It was hard. It was hard. I mean, I'm I'm laughing now, but man, oh man, it was hard. So, I mean, does anyone think that after putting my heart and soul into this, that I I wanted to find out that only 54 people voted for me in a whole congressional district and that that number dropped to 10? Because I'm not including that, I, you know, my vote, I voted for myself. <laughs> uh, it's It was hard. It was hard because I ran as if, I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank as if I had a whole team, as if I had the chance, a very real chance to win when certainly after September it became, well, anything's possible, but is it is <laughs> is, is a victory likely? No. You know, I, I mean, it, it was tough. It was very tough. But I'm hoping that my run means that, you know, if someone decides to go against all the odds down the line, that he or she can refer to my race and say, well, no, well, you know, she's still standing, so... It might be very tough. Hopefully, I'll do better in terms of votes, hopefully. Um, but win, lose, or draw, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still be standing regardless. That's what I'm, what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that a person can take comfort in the fact that you can go through what can be honestly almost a crushing experience and still somehow come out intact, better and stronger. It wasn't easy. I can't say that enough. I can say it. I can just spend the rest of this show saying how difficult it was. But my point has been made. So... Where do I want to go with this? I want to go to the argument that so many of my fellow Republicans like to make. The reality is there are no more excuses that we can make for not running candidates in Boston. There are no more. And actually, this would have been a good time to run candidates 
Because D6, which is represented by Lara, is ripe for a Republican. A reasonable, credible, knowledgeable Republican. District 1, East Boston, North End, Charlestown, Waterfront. That's another area where a Republican could do well. In fact, I think another another I think District 5 a Republican could do well. I do. At large, I just I think this would have been a good cycle. I I don't want to hear anymore why why candidates can't be recruited. And I'm no longer going to tolerate people that try to discourage people from running and people who try to find people to run. The Republican Party was never meant to be some kind of social club. There are so many great ideas that have come from Republicans. There are so many great ideas that have been promoted by Republicans, by the Republican Party. Yes, Republican Party. And people don't get to hear that. And that's wrong. And that's bad. And some of these same people who don't want to recruit anybody who want to discourage people who want to try to change things, these are people who will want to weigh in on what happens in Boston. I know, you can't make it up, right? They'll want to weigh in. Oh, this one's so terrible. Can you believe what Wu did yesterday? Can you believe what she said last week? Okay, so what are you going to do about it? You going to run someone? You going to try to recruit somebody? They're not going to try to do any of that, but then they want to weigh in. They want to be able to talk about Boston. So why don't you come in here and do something? And it's not just Boston. There's no reason, if we look at, say, Chelsea, there's no reason. Look at all of Suffolk County. There's no reason why we can't go into uh, to Chelsea. Republicans... They, there has been some success for Republicans in Chelsea. Why aren't we doing anything in Winthrop? Why aren't we doing anything in Revere? Anything more? There's been success for Republicans in Revere. I mean, it's just, there are no more excuses. And I share my story because I understand that no one wants to be a sacrificial lamb. No one wants to lose and lose badly. No one wants to come out looking embarrassed or humiliated. But I got to tell you that notwithstanding the number of votes that I got, and, and let me just say this, the people that voted for me, I will always be incredibly grateful to those people because they saw through all the smoke and mirrors, And they were able to think for themselves and say, you know what, I'm going to give this person a chance. And based on what I've what I what I know and what I've seen, 
I think she's the best candidate. So I'm always going to be grateful to those people. So I never want to, I never want to give the impression in any way, shape, or form that I'm not grateful to the people that had the courage to vote for me. Um, so, so I just want to <laughs> get that out there. It, it, but it's just when I speak to the number of votes, that's all. And so no one wants to run and not get a lot of votes. And I guess that's the way to phrase it. But I'm going to tell you, you run, you do the best you can. You have a solid platform. You know the issues. And if you've been in the community like I have and like some other people have, you take that with you into your campaign. You make that part of your campaign. And you give it all you got. And then you see what the people say. But again, as I said, regardless, you're still going to walk away and live another day. But all the lunacy that we're seeing in Boston now, we wouldn't see so mu as much of it if we had opposing views. And I'm not talking about Erin Murphy, who cosplays conservatism and republicanism. She's center-left. We do have conservative politicians in Boston, but they got to watch what they say and do. We need people, more people, who say that they're conservative, who actually are conservative, and then the other people who are conservative, but who can't say much at present— will feel emboldened to say something. So that's what I'm going to end with. Republicans need to step up. We need to recruit candidates. We need to let people know that we are here, that they have an option, period. And we have to start pushing back. Complaining on social media will no longer cut it. <laughs> And on that note, thank you so much for listening to me, Rachel Meiselman on Bostonian Rap. As always, I thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119 Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org